Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. The bad news is I had coffee. The good news is that I had coffee. Why do I share this with you? I don't drink coffee. And that could lead to some really, really rapid uh, conversation today. Or it might just give me what I need because I'm tired. Uh, But coffee, man, you know tastes so good although i'd rather have it as ice cream i'm i'm just saying i would rather have coffee as ice cream uh, it's just that delicious i'm not a coffee drinker i really only drink it uh, out of absolute need or just craving and then even when i crave it i'm just like yeah it wasn't wasn't that good but it's good right now anyway so that's my coffee update and my warning as to why this may be a rapid conversation uh but candid uh talking about one of the most difficult topics in our culture today and that is the gender crisis this gender ideology that we're living in and i call it a true ideology because it's confusing people to the point of a newfound identity. Many people, specifically women, over the last 60 years or so have identified themselves as feminists because they go along with the ideology and they believe so deeply in the ideology they make it their newfound identity. Today we live in a culture that has really stepped away from uh, a God-centered idea of the human person and creation and because of that we've come up with this identity crisis that leads many of us to say, well, I'm this, I'm that. Identify with my career. Uh, Identify with where I live. But one of the identities most confusing, I think, out of a rejection of God is that we rejected the creator and therefore has left us at the point where we reject our own bodies. Here we are with this craze. Maybe you've had a family member or friend who says they are transgender Um, or maybe same-sex attracted, what can kind of answer this from a faithful perspective? Well, joining me today is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. He's on the front end of working, combining both faith and therapy to help people who are struggling through this identity crisis in our culture. We're going to talk a little bit later about kind of these brilliant ideas of how to talk to a loved one who uh, you don't support in their transgender identity. Also talk to you about some healing wounds resources for a retreat coming up and much more. Again, that's licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro joining me today. Michael, you and I have been unpacking this idea of femininity and masculinity over the last handful of years as we've confronted the gender crisis. Uh, One area recently we've been discussing is how the catechism of the Catholic Church actually refers to the fact that our sexuality doesn't just impact the body, but this identity as male and female comes 
all the way down to the particular dimension of the soul, that we're male or female at the level of the soul. You can read about this in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2332 and 2333. Uh, But what the Catechism says, Michael, is that we're to acknowledge and accept sexual differences in our identity um, from the physical and moral side to even the spiritual differences in the complementary that that leads us to engage in in terms of our relationships and how we form bonds with one another. Let's talk about this because it's something that says that you're not just male or female in your body parts. You're male and female all the way down to your soul. I wish I understood it fully. I love how you and I were talking about this in preparation for our show today. And and I even thought to myself, man, what a concept. How does this apply to my life? And so the first thing I want to share, Timory, is just with any listeners here that I am personally continuing to try to unpack how this relates to accepting and embracing my sexual identity as a man made in God's image and likeness. And if it is from the top of my head to the tip uh, the tip of my toes to the top of my soul, as apparently Dr. Austin Woodbury claimed, who was an Australian philosopher, a Thomistic philosopher, I want to understand that better, especially because I'm someone who's spoken a lot publicly, Timory, about my struggles with sexuality and same-sex attachments. And so I want to embrace this sense that my identity in Christ as a man from body and soul is not compromised by any of my struggles or my fallen state or anything that's happened to me or anything that I've done. And I think that's a really beautiful, hopeful thing for us as Catholics to to have in our arsenal of, of truth. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you tie it kind of to some of the current gender culture where, you know, they say, okay, you know, go through therapeutic services, you know, get get the cross-sex hormones, have the sex change, and you will be the person you were created to be. But as you and I discussed, there's no chemical, there's no plastic reconstructive surgery that can actually change you. And I think that that's what's so shocking to some people that momentarily there might be a honeymoon phase after engaging in these so-called therapeutic services. But if we deep dive deeply into the philosophy and theology, you can't change the fact that from your toes to your head, as you said, you are either male or female. And that means something. I mean, we know that these sex differences and characteristics are in every fiber of the body, I mean, all the way down as you study the body, even just the difference in male versus female muscle. It's phenomenal. But to look at it from the perspective of the soul, getting philosophical for a moment here, the soul is the form of the body. And if you dive into philosophy, we're body and soul, but mostly soul. And so in our modern day culture, we try to say, I'm a body and I'm going to label myself with whatever I want to label myself as. But at the end of the day, your soul is that form, that proper function of who you are. And if we are male or female, and that is what our soul is created to be, it means we have to discover it as you're referring to, Michael. And it makes me think today's the feast day of St. Perpetua and Felicity. And we'll talk a little bit about them later on. But it makes me think about how ardently St. Perpetua uh, clung to her Catholic faith at a time of profound paganism. Um, she ultimately was martyred. She was a young mother. And her father had a tremendous political power, and he begged her to reject, to he persuade, tried and tried to persuade her to shake her Christian resolutions uh, because she was going to be killed. And he, you know, he would tell her, like, you're going to leave your child without a parent. And in this end, she said to him, Father, I don't. I do not. Do you see this vase here? She's pointing to a vase on like a table. She said, this is a vase here, for example, or water pot or whatever. 
She said, could it be called by any other name than what it is? Well, so too I cannot be called by anything other than what I am, a Christian. And I've always found her conviction so um, inspiring, Michael, but it made me think about this crisis of what happens when we say we're something other than what we are when it comes to the soul of God created us, the body God created us as male or female, and how this impacts our Christianity as well. Yeah, and whenever you're talking about our who, what else could I be called, Christian is what I am, that made me think of the Psalms, and we think of God speaking about how he knew us, he knit us in our mother's womb, he knew us before we were born. And if, as we discuss philosophically and theologically, we understand ourselves to be from the moment of conception a unique new person, a human person, body and soul, we have imbued on our very, in, in, in our deepest sense, maleness and femaleness from the moment of conception onward. And so if I reject that revealed truth to me by God about part of my identity, of an integral part of my identity that cannot be separated or dissected away from me or surgically removed from me, man, like what kind of scattering does that do to myself? And I, I do think there's a, a spiritual attack. We've talked a lot of times about how Pope Benedict was voiced very clearly and Pope Francis echoed him that we are in the age of sin against God, the creator, meaning, you know, God, the creator, he created us male and female. And so I, how deeply divided it pits me against my own self or, or separates me from myself in a way that it's not, I'm saying judgmental of those people who do that, but what suffering that must cause. And when we're told that the answer is to further that division, it cannot be the balm, the soothing, the healing of that wound that is needed. Mm. You and I were diving deep into this earlier today as we were discussing, and you know, we think a lot about sex differences in terms of um, psychologically, how we relate to one another, even though that's controversial. It wasn't controversial <laughs> up until about 60 years ago. Uh, we all can agree physically that we relate differently um, based on the male and female body. Uh, but one thing that you know we don't think about, but that you must when you ponder the differences between male and female at the level of the soul is that ontological difference, the fact that we are different by our very existence. And when we were talking about that, we were diving into some of the theology, we have to remember that when we receive the sacraments, you know, all the sacraments of initiation, right? We can think about Holy Eucharist, we can think about baptism, uh, confirmation, and these sacraments change us to the level of the soul. And that's very profound. I was pondering this just moments ago as you and I were going back and forth talking about this. The soul is either male and female, and if the soul is changed by the sacraments, that means, therefore, the soul is enhanced either in its femininity or in its masculinity when you receive and engage in the sacraments that God has given us. So, for example, and this really kind of just hit me right smack in the forehead when I was thinking about this a few moments ago, it makes sense because I know for me, especially when I'm struggling um, with sin, you know, when I am doing that examination of conscience, often much of my examination of conscience comes to human nature, but also more particularly my female nature, right? My femininity and my state in life. And how often when I go to confession, it's healing uh, the wounds that have impacted my femininity and how I relate to others on the level of being a woman and how receiving the grace of the sacrament helps in reorienting who I am as a woman. 
that is very fascinating. And I, I, since I'm not an expert in focuses of area of theology related to the soul, I can say what you said resonates with me. I do think that it's not like we had a male or female soul, and I think you and I discussed this, put into our male or female body, but that by intrinsic design, when we are made male or female, the soul reflects the maleness or femaleness of the body. It's in, it's integrated. But is that right, Timory, that we don't have like a male soul put into a male body, but it happens kind of all at once together? Or how would you explain that? And we're talking about a mystery here, right? And I think that that's part of what we need to ponder when we bring that into the conversation, because I think there's a lot of theological conversation about that. But God creates us, and when God creates us, he infuses our body and soul. Everything is there. Everything is present. And so I think there's this attitude of like, oh, suddenly, okay, I'll go, that one's male and that one's female, and that it's arbitrary. We have to, I think, come back to this idea and fundamental knowledge that God does everything intentionally, and purposefully. Hmm. It's not accidental. And so I think sometimes when we talk about some of that great mystery that you're referring to, we have to understand it was intentional. And I think that that's at the core of that conversation. If the Catechism of the Catholic Church is saying that we are either male or female down to our soul, there is no accident there. And I think some language like that sometimes kind of leaves that up to like, okay, well, it was just accidental or arbitrarily chosen. No, Mm. God chose with a purpose. And that means something profound about who I am right now in this moment, you know, wherever I am and how I relate to whoever I am with. And I think that's great. I love the term mystery because we use it so often in our faith, the mystery of our faith. And these mysteries allow us to ponder them with humility and openness to the Holy Spirit and how he's asking us to understand them at that time in our life or in that particular moment. So yeah, this conversation should be exciting and open our minds and hearts to deeper understanding of the mystery, but it sounds like you're right that we're not going to just fully understand exactly how the process of the soul in, enfolds and the human person exists in this complex way that God creates, but he does it on purpose and for a purpose. So when you said, you know, he does it on purpose, yes, it's for me, but my state in life and my life is not belong to me. My life is always part of God's big story. Like Bishop Barron says, like Hans Urshman Balthasar says, the theodrama. What is my role in the story God is telling of his death and resurrection through Christ to redeem human beings and, and bring us in, in eternal unity with him? And our, my maleness has something to do with that, which is pretty cool to think about. Like, I, I wasn't just randomly created a man to be on this earth. I am a man on this earth for a reason. And... I think that when I ponder that, I think of Pope St. John Paul II's work of Theology of the Body. And this is where I first started to really come to understand uh, the mystery of the body or that we have a mystery within our body to be revealed. Mm. And we talk a lot about the mysteries of the sacraments. You know, we have the Eastern and Western lung of the church um, where, you know, the Roman rite of the Catholic Church, you know, we have the Mass that all of us are used to, but in the Eastern lung of the Church, we have, you know, the Maronite Catholics, the Chaldean Catholics, all following falling under and in line with the Roman Catholic Church and the Holy Pontiff. Uh, but it's always been interesting to me because they refer to the sacraments as mysteries. Now, we know that there's hmm. a sacramental and a mysterious dimension of the sacraments, and in calling them sacraments, we're talking about more so the tangible side of it. But in the Eastern lung of the Church, they talk more so about the mystery side of of it. Um, and they refer to it as the mysteries, right? The sacraments. And I've always thought that very profound, especially when combining that with 
theology of the body because the theology of the body really helps us to understand um, the theology and philosophy of the human person and how profoundly mysterious that is. Just as God himself is a mystery to us that we can't fully understand, so too in a certain respect is this creature, you and I, male and female, that God created to be with him in the fullness of that truth, the fullness of our discovery and self-knowledge will be fully understood with him because we are made to be with him. And so that means there's a lot of mystery to who you are, Michael, both as male, but Mm. also as an individual here on earth. Yeah, that's so beautiful because I've heard it said that if you could say, I perfectly understand God, then the thing you're understanding is not God (laughs) because he is not able to be perfectly understood by us human beings. And so if we're made in his image and likeness, like you're saying, we wouldn't necessarily be able to perfectly understand ourselves. We would be this source of deep mystery in that as we go deeper into those interior castles, as I've heard it called, um, those deeper senses of God's presence with us and who we are in Christ, that should be integrated with our understanding of our sexual identity. And therefore, they kind of are two, like you said, the East and Western lungs of the church. Maybe it's sort of like the two parts of ourself. There's our spiritual self and our physical self. And the integral component of the sexual identity piece should not be removed from the mystery, but be a part of the mystery that's pondered with gratitude. And by the way, one last thing. I think if we ponder this with gratitude and an attitude of praise and thanksgiving to God for our maleness or our femaleness, that really opens our minds in a different way than being sort of like a problem to solve. So Mm -hmm. I I like to think of it as something that we can explore with gratitude and praise and thanksgiving for its goodness, even if we don't fully, even though we don't fully understand it. And gratitude is a fruit of prayer. And as you're talking, I was thinking about Pope St. John Paul II and how people who met him, who weren't even Catholic, um, uh, they have commented and said how Pope St. John Paul II exuded this masculine character. Like, he was a virile man. I think it was Jackie Kennedy who said that. The most virile man she had ever met. And I think that's a fruit of prayer. The more we pray, the more united we are with God, uh, the more united we are with our creator who gave us our very nature. And, you know, we talk about male and female at the level of the soul. Well, we have as humans a nature that is human. And then we have our individual nature that orients within male or female, but then we have the personal dimension of who we are. And sometimes when we talk, and I know you and I discussed this a couple weeks ago as well, I'll have to link to that episode because we were exploring the same idea of femininity and masculinity at the level of the soul. Uh, When we pause and say, okay, you know, human nature, okay, then male or female, but then personal, that brings into account those unique interests and desires, you know, whether I'm more artistic versus outdoorsy, whether, you know, I have a physical capacity to fight and engage someone, or whether maybe I have a more gentle voice, like all of these elements are personal and unique, and they come out um, in terms of how we interact with one another, but they go much deeper into the physicality from the physicality into the spirituality of the body and that spiritual, that soul-like sex difference is far more profound than the bodily sexual difference that we tend to overly focus on. Well, and at any point in which you're trying to look at your wounds and finding healing through Christ or through, if you go to therapy as a means of emotional and psychological support for your healing process, we should not negate any of the things you just mentioned along the way. And so this is why, as Catholics, we should 
I don't want to say fight, but be very verb vocal about this element of the complementarity of the sexes, the uniqueness and the goodness of the male and female differences, because we owe it to ourselves as individuals, but also to culture to be a shining light. And because of that, when we talk about it, Timory, I think it's really important that we have hope and encouragement and positivity as opposed to just painting a, neg a negative view, like don't do this, don't do that. What is the do? What is the thing that we can encourage people to do? And I think what you said is great. Never negate that deeper, important dimension of the human spirit and soul that is interwoven and always present in our physical self. Mm, that touches again on theology of the body that in the garden, Adam and Eve had this moment of profound self-discovering complementarity when Adam sees Eve for the first time. Again, I just have to throw it out there. I mean, they're butt naked prior to the fall. <laughs> and there's this aha moment of, I made for you and you for I. And he saw on the physical level. But if he was left at the physical level, and he wasn't because it's prior to the fall, he would have gotten everything wrong. But what he came to understand was the very mystery of the cross that Jesus Christ shows virginally on the cross that, yes, I am made for you and you for I, and the body of male and female show this and that key and lock understanding of sexual complementarity. But what Jesus showed us is goes beyond that into the fact that we are called to give all of ourselves in our femininity and masculinity away to the world. And that is done through a spiritual gift that pr produces the fruit of the physical gift of who we are in, in some relationships. That is the sexual complementarity of marriage, but it's not reduced exclusively to that. And again, that's the yeah. scene in the virginal life of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Blessed Virgin Mary herself who lived a chaste marriage. Yeah, and of course, St. Joseph, as you're, by default, we know that that is, includes right. him as well. So mm -hmm. we have, what's so cool is we have this, human male and female we have jesus christ our lord who lived that out through his vocation and his celibate life but we also have a male and female fully human only human i should say through mary and saint, blessed mary virgin and saint joseph exemplifying masculinity and femininity on a purely human level for us that is so interesting and i do think that as catholics we have this just such a richness that god wants to love us through mary and joseph in a way that can help us understand more deeply and know how to share more fully our maleness or femaleness with the world because of the way they modeled it in the Holy Family. And I, that's something I personally am trying to understand more deeply in my life and pray and deeply share with others through that experience. That's Michael Gasparro, licensed marriage and family therapist. Michael, this is a topic that we could spend hours on and we'll continue to unpack it because it's so poignant in the culture that we are living in today with this identity crisis. This is a topic I hope you'll share. You know, all you have to do is grab the link to this episode, share it with one person. This is an act of evangelization, someone who's struggling in their femininity or struggling in their masculinity, struggling with a child who is in the midst of this gender crisis. We're actually going to come back talking about that. Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Michael Gasparro is with us. He's at the forefront of the crisis surrounding gender today as he works with people and we're going to talk about a healing retreat to help you as a resource combining our faith along with sound psychology so stay tuned i'll be right back with michael gasparo uh, we'll post the link on social media as well to where you can find michael and it's this feast day of saint felicity and perpetua we will share their story in just a moment you 
You're listening to Trending with Timry, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to Trending. I'll share with you about the life of saints felicity and perpetuum just a little bit here. Two very inspiring saints. Uh, that I really, really love to think about their story. And today's their feast day. So stay with me. Joining me now is Michael Gasparro. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And we're going to talk about how to tell a loved one you don't support their transgender identity in just a moment after a viral TikTok video uh, circulated on the internet. But before we go there, Michael, I want to talk about your upcoming Healing Wounds Retreat in Southern California. This is one of a kind in many ways because it takes sound psychology and therapy of today in combination with our Catholic faith to really push the needle forward in terms of an individual's mental health, but overall growth by clinging to God. Can you share with us a little bit about this retreat? Yeah, I'm really excited. um, Fellow licensed marriage and family therapist Adam Cross and myself are both Catholic therapists here in Southern California are leading a one-day retreat, 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., at Padre Serra Retreat Center in Camarillo. You can find information online and you can post it on your show notes for Adam Cross's website where you can register for this retreat. It costs $85 for the day. There are scholarships available for people who have financial need to help cover the cost of that. We want people to be able to attend. This retreat is centered on the idea that we can bring our wounds, and that might be related to what we're talking about, Timory, woundedness around accepting our identity as male or female, our sexual identity as male or female, or might be wounds related to other spiritual or emotional harms in your life. And we bring them to Christ during Lent in a special way because we're uniting it to the cross in the way that we focus on the passion during Lent in a very particular fashion. However, we always, always, always as Christians are uniting our wounds to the death and resurrection of the Lord. It only makes sense in the light of the resurrection. And this is especially shown in the church's own liturgical calendar, which is that every Sunday is separated from the Lenten season in the sense that it's not one of the 40 days of Lent. It's a mini Easter, as some people call it. And so we want to encourage people, if you have something on your heart, if you have a burden that you're trying to find a group to share it with or in community to support you, Come to this retreat, join us, and help bring your wounds. Trust Jesus with your broken heart and know that in the light of the resurrection, God has a plan and a design for healing in your life. We don't know what it looks like in this lifetime, and it doesn't happen perfectly until we reach eternity with him, but we know that he cares and he wants to be involved in our healing throughout our life on earth. And therapy, but as well as retreats like this, can be a pathway to do that. And one last thing, Timri, about that. If you don't come to this retreat, get other help. Don't, don't carry this burden of any kind of mental or spiritual wounds on your own. Reach out to your mm-hmm. priests and your parish, your family members, to a therapist. You are not alone and you shouldn't have to carry these burdens alone. For as Christ's consolation overflows, his sufferings overflow to us, so too does his consolation so that we might console others in their grief. So the body of Christ is there to lift each other up in our wounds and our suffering. Michael, let's give a glimpse of maybe a tool. Can you share with us a tool that participants will leave with uh, who are coming there for a healing journey as a Catholic? 
Well, one thing is rooted in the sacraments. So we're planning on having Mass together and possibly Eucharistic adoration if we can arrange for the priest to stay long enough to do that with us. And the reason I mention that is because as Catholics, we have this unique gift in the sacraments to unite ourselves to Christ in the sacraments in this special and profound way in which he invites us into the deeper life of the church through his death and resurrection in the Eucharist. Um, and a, a practical tool we really emphasize is gratitude and self-compassion. So we'll do exercises together to help reflect on ways that you can learn to pray with gratitude for your own good and for God's glory and ways that we can help you frame things in your life to see God's work even through difficulty that you're struggling through. I'll post the link on social media. It's already there, actually. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, to registration for this retreat in Southern California, more Northern Southern California. Uh, and we'll also post it in the episode notes for today's show, which, by the way, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, subscribe wherever you love to listen to your podcast. Share this episode with a friend. Let them know about this Healing Wounds retreat that's out there. Again, that'll be in the episode notes for today's show. Uh, Michael, let's talk about how to tell a loved one you don't support their transgender identity. I know this is something that you and I have talked about many times before, but there was recently a viral TikTok video um, of this young woman who uh, basically wrote a letter or a text message home to her parents who was, she was coming home for Christmas break from school uh, saying that she wanted to be called Mike moving forward. And uh, this information and news reached her grandmother ahead of Christmas vacation and her grandmother wrote her an astounding letter. And so what this young woman does is she actually read the letter on TikTok. It was so impactful uh, on her. It's fascinating uh, to actually hear and see what she said. So I'll post a link on social media, but listen to this. This is a young woman reading her grandmother's letter. Hi. So recently I texted my parents because I'm going to go go home for Christmas. And I said, hey, do you mind calling me Mike when I come back for Christmas? And then when I got home today, I got this letter from my grandma and it is addressed to Miss old name not actually but you know i don't want to say my real name on the internet dearest dead name on this our blessed mother's feast day i am writing to tell you that i will not address you as mike my decision is probably not a surprise to you others may comply with your request my anguish in your chosen name and what that means has to do with your eternal soul know that i love you more than words could ever possibly convey to you no matter how you decide to identify yourself does not change my deep love for you honey because of my concerns for your soul and your mental health i am spending more time with jesus in adoration the my cousin's last names are doing the same for you um then she lists my one two three four five cousins that are below the age of 10 who are apparently um offering up special personal sacrifices for me who i didn't tell um that i wanted to go by mike i didn't want to i haven't talked with your godmother and her family but i'm sure they would do the same for you do you know how much you are cherished and loved? It would be a joy to see you and be with you during the coming Christmas um, a celebration of our Lord's birth. This is a viral TikTok video of a young woman getting ready to come home for this past Christmas, telling her parents, hey, I want to be called Mike. And her grandma says, no, writing this letter. Uh, Michael, 
I would love to hear your initial reaction to this letter. I talked about it a couple weeks ago on the show, but I really think in many ways this is a template for talking to our loved ones. What are your thoughts here? I don't know this person, the the young woman in the video, so I'm a little hesitant to speak too boldly about this, but I do think that the grandmother's words are well chosen and very kind. I wonder, my only concern to Henry would be is if it would be better to have had as a conversation, like a discussion back and forth, because then there can be less of a chance of maybe misunderstanding one another. But was this young woman disturbed in a sad way, like distressed by this, or was she moved in a positive way? I'm not sure what the internet's sense of the reaction was. Yeah, it seems like she was moved in a positive way, although this is a young woman that is really struggling with her identity on social media. Um, She has a lot of followers. She has almost 250,000 followers on social media, and she is going by the name of Mike now. Uh, And I think it's interesting to see, you know, it's made such a viral reaction, yet it's something I think that she's really working through, but she felt inspired to share this either way. Yeah, and I think the important thing is that you can't speak into somebody's life if you don't love them first. And Mm. so it's, it's really important that this grandmother seems to be sincere that she cherishes her and loves her and wants to be with her and spend time with her. And there was no conditions put around that. So that seems really important to me because if you're not willing to be with somebody just as they are, then they're your project. They're not your friend or your family member. It doesn't mean you have to acquiesce to every demand that they have because you might perceive that it's harmful like the grandmother shared in this letter. You know, I don't want to harm you by reinforcing this perception that you're not yourself. But at the same time, come home. She didn't say... Come home if you're willing to change or come home if you don't demand this any longer. She just said, look, I can't call you this, but come home, come celebrate Mm -hmm. with us. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really an important angle of the letter. Whether or not the letter was well received, it was hard for me to tell by the nature of her tears. I couldn't tell if she was moved in a a healing way or if she was disturbed by her grandmother's words. But Mm -hmm. I guess that's to be determined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that you mentioned something about how you thought it might be better done in person, face to face conversation. And I just want to kind of ask a question that because sometimes I find when things are so profoundly difficult and um, painful, maybe there's a confrontation that needs to occur. Um, that you know, face to face is so important that we're forming these face to face relationships. But what I was also wondering and pondering is sometimes you know we've lost the written word in terms of letters, and I think sometimes it's easy for us to cast off a profound text <laughs> or even email that might come through for some from someone. Mm. And so, where do you think maybe there could be a benefit of writing a letter to a loved one for words for them to tangibly hold and ponder in preparation for a face to face conversation? I think especially if you make it clear that this is the beginning of a conversation, not just an avoidance of a conversation, because when we write something, sometimes it's because we want to be sincere and thorough and thoughtful, but sometimes it might be because we're avoiding a difficult discussion. So aside from this particular example, which was a very clearly heartfelt letter, I think it'd be good if you're going to have a discussion with your loved one about their same-sex attraction or transgender ideology issues If you want to start with a letter, you know your family and your situation best, so trust your instincts and pray to the Holy Spirit to guide you. But I would recommend considering that 
you make it clear that this is not the end of the conversation, but perhaps an opening to discuss it if they're willing. And I do think it's also worth asking a, a child or family member, especially if a child's an adult, of course, if it's a, an underage minor, then you have the authority as a parent to insist on a conversation. But with an adult child, you have some level, a, more a higher chance of their openness if you ask them, hey, I here's my letter to you, like you're saying, Timmer, here's the sincere words I've put together and prayed about and sh want to share with you. And are you open to a conversation to further this discussion? Because then maybe you get the best of both worlds where you have a chance to be really thoughtful and show the intention and the time and the love it takes to write something and mail something. Um, but then you also clearly share that this isn't just a, a lecture. It's an opportunity to go deeper if it's desired. Mm, it reminds me of the words a good... Um, good, good friend and well-known chastity speaker said, Pam Stenzel, she's worked a lot in the pro-life movement, and she has always said, you know, if you have to broach a conversation, you know, a difficult conversation such as this with a family member, it's good to start with a question of saying, do you know that I love you? Like, do you believe that mm. I love you? And if the answer to that is yes, you have permission to move forward. But if that person really questions your love, you might not be in that position to deliver the message or have the influence that you hope to have uh, with what you're trying to do. And I've always thought that that's a really good challenge um, when approaching a conversation. And I think that, you know, from the emotion evoked in this video, I think this young young woman knows that her grandmother loves her. Mm. And at the core, that's where these tears are coming from. Mm. And it's unraveling for her. Yeah, and you said it really well. If you if the answer is yes, there's like a doorway that opens that is a natural doorway to walk through of continuing that conversation. In in my life, if I was to have this conversation with somebody, I would want them to respect my boundaries. And if if a if an adult family member had an issue with the way I was living, instead of just saying, "Hey, I want to tell you something you're doing wrong," I would really appreciate if they asked me hey, there's something I'm concerned about. Are you open to having a conversation? Or do you know that, you know, I love you. Would you be open to talking? And that, to me, I would be less defensive. We know, and, and therapists often work with couples, gentle startups are a really good way to help people remain open to your influence, but also to your relationship with them. And, and Timory, most of these young people that are struggling with gender ideology and same-sex attraction have a struggle of knowing their lovable self just as they are. So what we don't want is conditional love extended, but unconditional love. Mm, fantastic. And it kind of just laying out, I think some of what I saw was good in this letter. Um, the grandmother starts with saying no, but with love, um, mentioning that her soul matters, which I think that's something you and I were talking about earlier. Very um, importantly, that this is, this has to do with your soul, not just your body. And I think that the grandmother very poignantly understood this and tried to articulate that. And she says, I'm going to do something about it because I care about your soul, your eternal soul. And here are some of the consequences. This is what I'm doing, but this is what, this is what I hope. Like, I want to see you. It's my joy to see you. And even though I'm saying no to this, that does not mean that there's any severing of this relationship with you. Yeah. And there's freedom for that young woman to go back or to not go back. So just like God gives us freedom, he loves us in truth, and then he doesn't force our hand. So she didn't say, you better be here at Christmas. And so I think that was also really good that she kind of made the invitation as welcoming as possible, but didn't put any kind of pressure or manipulative language about 
you should be here. That's what family does. And so she's creating a, a freedom environment for her granddaughter. Michael, thank you for joining us today. You know, I think that's at the heart of so much of what we're discussing, that freedom, that human nature that we're given, but that our freedom is meant to do the good, that freedom is for the sake of choosing what is right. And that is an act of love uh, that God did in making us for himself, but with the freedom to choose otherwise. So it's Michael Gasparro, licensed marriage and family therapist. I'll post a link on social media as well as the episode notes uh, to find him as well as to the Healing Wounds Retreat that he's putting on at the end of the month on March 25th. I'll be right back here on Trending talking about Saints Felicity and Perpetua. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Tim right here. Have you downloaded the Relevant Radio app yet? Go find it in the App Store. You can listen especially to your favorite programs trending here on Relevant Radio uh, with clear, crisp audio. When I jump in the car and I listen to Relevant Radio, I actually turn on the app. And especially because I can pause and play and do all of those nice user-friendly things. So check out the Relevant Radio app. It's clear and it's crisp. Uh, Today, I want to talk about the feast day of Saints Felicity and Perpetua. If you know nothing about them, these were two young women, young mothers. In fact, uh, they died, uh, specifically Perpetua. She was the age of 33, the same year age as Christ. They were two holy women who'd suffered a death on the 7th of March in Carthage. Uh, They were there during this persecution of Septimus Severus that was particularly severe at that time. Um, Felicity was the slave of Perpetua, and they had both converted to Christianity. Uh, Perpetua was a part of a well-known family that held a lot of political power. Uh, She was a young mother. She had a a young child. I believe it was a baby boy. And Felicity, her slave, actually gave birth just three days before dying a martyr's death. Uh, These two young women, it's fascinating to look at their story and their lives, especially because of the challenge of the fact that they're moms and they they sacrifice their lives clinging to their faith, even the face of death and not being there to raise their children. And man, you know, as a mom, you know, I understand this so differently now than I did because I've loved these two saints for quite a while. Uh, but there's something that St. Felicity once said, um, or sorry, St. Perpetual once said when talking to her father, her father had begged her to give up her faith. He held a lot of political power. He could have protected her and she would just stop holding to her faith-filled resolutions that to him in many respects were political resolutions that were going to get her killed. And she said, my father out of love for me was trying to persuade me and shake my resolutions. She said, father, do you see this vase here? For example, or water pot? Could I be called by any other name than what that is? Could that be called by any other name than what that is? Well, so too I cannot be called by anything other than what I am, a Christian. So she's saying, this is a water pot. This is a jug. This is a vase. How could you just go and call it by something than other what, than what it is? It would be a lie. And she's saying, I am a Christian and I not, cannot be called by anything else. Don't ask me to abandon this. 
what she's saying in so few words, but said by her very actions and dying a martyr's death, is that I too am limited by my nature. That is my free will. And my free will is a gift from God. And that gift from God of my free will is to choose him, to choose him unconditionally above anything and everything else. Even the gift of the life of her child that God gave her, of staying attached to being able to raise this child over hiding and rejecting her faith and renouncing it as the culture at that time wanted her to do. She recognized that she was made for eternity with God. She made the most difficult choice, I, I'm sure, in her entire life of saying yes to God and no to the world. And one of the consequences of that was not that she rejected her child, neither her, neither Perpetua or Felicity, but that they set that example that above all our relationship with Christ matters most. And in a culture where we're told to just go with the ways of the world, we're told to just cave. You know, it's okay. Love is love. What does it matter? Your truth, your truth. You live it. You do you. You live that out. But let me do my truth. Let me be me. But our actions influence others. Who we are and what we do impacts other people. Telling the truth about others and telling the truth about ourselves really does matter. And this is something that St. Perpetua lived out and gave us that example of, along with the many other saints who have gone before us. Telling the truth about God and the world that he created. But it also requires knowing the truth. And this is why we have relevant radio. This is why we have the catechism of the Catholic Church. This is why we have the rich teachings of the church so that we can know God's truth, live his truth, and follow him. Even if that means that we are going to Calvary, to Golgotha. I think that's the challenge is that often we'll say, okay, I see it, I know it, but I don't want to go there. To you, it may represent isolation. It may represent loneliness. It may represent doing the things, the very things you fear, such as what St. Perpetua and Felicity had to do. They, in clinging to our Lord, left their children orphaned on earth. I'm not saying to go and join the monastery or convent and to leave your children, but what I'm saying is that at the end of the day, we need to be prepared to faithfully and with great hope set that example of our love for Christ and not to be tied down by the other relationships in this world telling us that, well, that's an abandonment. That's wrong. We always have to consider our God-given state in life that God, again, God-given state in life and those who are entrusted to our care, but we can't compromise our relationship and responsibility to God in the midst of that. St. Perpetua said, we live not in our own power, but in the power of God. And this is where I think we have to take that step of faith, that step of hope, that we have to trust in God, even in the face of, again, for Perpetua, facing that her child was going to be left after her, her baby boy, the baby that was with her in prison, that her father tried to use against her so that she would abandon her faith, but who in the end, her father had to raise this little Christian child. And Felicity, a slave, eight months pregnant, gives birth while imprisoned just three days before facing a martyr's death. 
the baby was adopted by another Catholic couple we know. And I think this is a good example where, you know, we pray that, you know, when there are decisions we have to make in staying in conformity with the call that God has called us to, to follow his commandments and to love him, that we have to know that we can trust that our loved ones are left in God's hands, not our hands. And I think that example of St. Felicity herself dying and leaving this newborn baby and this Catholic couple adopting the baby, uh, praying for those people sometimes in our lives to help pick up the pieces of where maybe because we have maybe departed in faith with God, uh, that other people will be there to fill that role, to lovingly care for our children. And he does, but that's an act of faith. Again, as St. Perpetua said, we live not in our own power, but in the power of God. These two saints died in public games and were killed by wild beasts, wild, salvage beasts. These holy mothers, St. Perpetua and St. Felicity, set that example of motherhood, of femininity, of Christianity, of martyrdom, of passing on the faith to others and how much passing on that faith matters. If it weren't for the blood of the saints who went before us, we would not see the church we have today. And so as we live in an age of persecution for holding to views, religious views that go against the tides of the time, the culture, the politics, we have to know and trust in the example set by, by Jesus Christ, by St. Perpetua and by St. Felicity. Holy Mother, St. Perpetua and Felicity, pray for us. Up next is the Family Rosary Across America. This is Timray from Trending with Timray. Data has come out in the last couple weeks that one in five girls experienced some form of sexual violence in the last year. During our weekly Gentleman's Hour this Wednesday, I want to discuss your role, gentlemen, in talking to the women and young women and girls in your life about preventing and healing from sexual violence, repairing those male relationships in particular. So join me daily at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app. 